welcome here at Jubilee. I'm Steve and I, uh, I'm the leadership team here at Jubilee and it is our privilege to be with you this morning. And as has already been introduced, we're going to tell a little story today from the Bible because over the last few weeks we've been looking at how people met Jesus, how they encountered him and how they were changed by him. And this morning we're going to look at the story of a woman who's not actually named but she was called a sinful woman. And uh, in this story, we have a sinful woman, but we also have Simon the Pharisee, a very religious, legalistic person. And as we read this story this morning, I want us to consider who might we think we're like in this story. Of course, the main character of the story is Jesus and the encounter with him. But I wonder whether you see Simon in yourself or see the sinful woman. So let's think about that as we read the story. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7. And from 36 to 39, we're going to start. Let's read it. It says, "One, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came along there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As he stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is. She is a sinner. When Gary asked that question about, have you ever gone to a party without an invite? I saw a couple of people put their hands up. We call them gate crashers. And... um, Gate crashes aren't always welcome at a party, you know. In recent years with social media, you know, we've seen stories, haven't we, where a, a teenager has put their birthday party, their 18th online, and suddenly another couple of hundred people have turned up and ended up trashing and vandalising that party because you don't really want gate crashes at your party. But as we read this story, we see again Jesus is invited to a dinner party. But also, there were a load of gate crushers at that party because in the culture, you didn't have to be invited to the party. Now, that doesn't mean you could turn up and eat the dinner and drink the wine. What they used to do is have people come and just observe and watch what was going on. It sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But for the host, it was great. You know, he could enjoy everybody thinking how wonderful he is, what a great host he was. And of course, to have Jesus at the party, people would have thought, wow, this host is amazing. But this twist of a story changes because the uninvited guest, the gate crusher, who's just meant to sit and observe, suddenly becomes the centre of attention in this story. This woman who was uninvited becomes the centre of attention. And you see, it's even more interesting than that because she was a sinner. This woman was well known. Her presence threatened to destroy Jesus' reputation. See, to be called a sinner, it means she'd done a lot wrong and a lot wrong in a public way. 
Her life had been marked by choices she would have made, choices that even some at the party would have taken advantage of. See, the guests in those days wouldn't have sat at a table. They would have reclined on the floor and, and, and leant on a cushion and eaten food. And here at this party, as Jesus is reclining along with those who are invited, this woman standing behind Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus, this woman begins to cry. She begins to weep. She begins to cry her eyes out. And as the tears stream from her face, they fall onto the feet of Jesus. And then as they fall onto the feet of Jesus, she then undoes her hair, which is put up. And with her hair, she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. Now, that is even more disgraceful in that culture because a woman was meant to keep her hair up. She was only allowed to take her hair down in the presence of her husband at home. In fact, Jewish law forbade it that if you did do that in public, your husband could divorce you for doing that. So here's this woman crying on Jesus' feet, then takes the hair because she hasn't got a towel. So she wipes them. But then the next thing she does is she starts... Kissing Jesus' feet. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I love having my feet kissed. It just tickles me, honestly. And I couldn't think of anything worse than kissing somebody's feet. But she kisses them. And it's the same word for kiss, which means earnestly kiss. It was the same word that was used of the prodigal son when he came back to his father in, the, in a story where the son had gone away, then finally realised he needed to come back. And it says the father ran towards him and kissed his son and embraced him. It's like, welcome home, you're back. Here's this woman kissing the feet of Jesus. And then she has a jar of perfume around her neck and breaks it and pours it out on Jesus. Simon was shocked to see this woman was even present, let alone that she would actually approach Jesus like this. In verse 36, it says, When Simon, who had been invited him, saw what this woman did, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman she was and who was touching him, because she's a sinner. It says he said to himself. See, he was arrogant in his belief that Jesus could not even know what he was thinking. But Jesus did know. And then he began to tell a story to illustrate what that guy was thinking. It goes on in verse 40 of chapter 7. It says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denaro, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. See, it's a quite a simple story. There's somebody's lent somebody some, some money, but they're in great debt. Two men, one who owed what would represent two months of wages, another who owed a much bigger debt, which was two years of wages. And then Jesus asked Simon, well, now they've been let off go of the debt, which one do you think will love him more? 
Now, Simon seems a bit reluctant to answer Jesus. So he begins to answer, I suppose. I think that uh, Simon realizes that Jesus is applying this story to him. So he's hesitating to condemn himself, but he's even more reluctant to look stupid in front of his guests. And then when he answers that the one who has forgiven more loved the moneylender more, Jesus tells Simon he's answered correctly. Then Jesus confirms his response. And then he points to the woman and continues in verse 44. He says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, how many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? Well, of course he sees the woman. Everyone in the room has seen her. She was, became the center of attention. And I'm pretty sure from the moment she began to touch Jesus, Simon hadn't taken his eyes off of her. Jesus tells Simon off then for his failure to even be hospitable to him, to point out how the woman had demonstrated the love for him by doing everything Simon had failed to do. The welcome which Simon had neglected was provided by this party crasher. See, what's important for us to see that Jesus understood that this woman was acting out of love. See, love will cause us to humble ourselves in order to serve the one that we love. See, Jesus counted the woman's tears as a gift. And then when she humbled herself to loosen her hair and wipe his feet, it was a further gift. The woman had humbled herself in the presence of God. Her heart was filled with the knowledge of her sinful condition, the wrongs of her past that had shamed her. And she cried over her own brokenness. That was a response to the purity in whose presence she stood. In the presence of the pure one, Jesus Christ, she was undone. Purity, holiness. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. See, the one thing we see here is that it's likely it's not the first time this woman had met Jesus. The word forgiven that is used there is what is known as the perfect tense, which we've been learning about in our English classes, the perfect tense, those of you who are coming with our English classes, which means it's an action that occurred in the past but has continuing implications. So we can translate it like this. Her sins which are many, have already been forgiven and continue to be forgiven. 
See, the story itself and the words that Jesus is, then speaks in verse 50 make it clear that the forgiveness proceeds and then results in love, not the other way around. This woman's love that was poured out was evidence of the fact she was forgiven, not the cause of her forgiveness. See, Jesus, sorry, just like the debtors in the parable, they had done nothing that caused the moneylender to cancel their debts. They'd done nothing. Jesus has cancelled the debt of her wrongdoing, of her sin, because of his love and his grace and his mercy. And all she had done was to respond in faith to what Jesus had done for her. Because she'd been forgiven much, her love for Jesus is great. See, Jesus' forgiveness had such an obvious impact on the life of this woman. She was willing to worship Jesus in a way that cost her greatly. It cost her her pride as she washed, as she dried, and she anointed the feet of Jesus. It cost her the expensive use of her perfume. But perhaps more even costly was the sneering and rejection of the self-righteous Pharisees and their dinner deaths. The rejection that she continually felt. There everybody was looking on again, rejecting her. But she went beyond that rejection because her desire to see and to worship Jesus was greater than the fear of rejection of man. See, if you're a Christian here today, I want to ask you this. When was the last time that Jesus' forgiveness caused you to act like that? As we read that story, who do we want to identify with? I think we should be thinking about identifying with that woman. See, when was the last time that the forgiveness of Jesus caused you to worship him extravagantly in a way that would really cost you something? Your pride, some of your material resources, your reputation. When was the last time that you worshipped Jesus in a way that risked being rejected by others? See, if we think that we've been greatly forgiven, we will greatly love Jesus like this lady. If we think we've just been forgiven a little, then we'll only love Jesus a little. See, some of us do like to play it safe, don't we, and never really love Jesus extravagantly the way this woman did. And sometimes that's a danger for some of us who've been a Christians for a long time. We can become familiar with the things that God does and familiar with the good news of the gospel that it doesn't move us like it should. Or maybe you see yourself a bit like Simon. We don't think I really need to be forgiven. And if we don't, we don't really love Jesus at all. As Simon heard the story, he could have thought, well, Jesus is right. The, the, the woman is at least 10 times worse than I am. But with that thought, Simon was also saying, actually, I'm a sinner too. I'm a debtor. Maybe he wasn't nearly as bad as this woman but he too had fallen short of God's holiness and purity. And even if the sin was not as bad as that the woman, you know, it didn't really matter. You know, let's think about it. If somebody's drowning in 50 metres of water, they're drowning. If somebody's drowning in 500 metres of water, they're still drowning. It's no good the one in 500 metres saying, well, if I get to the 50 metres, I'm going to be better off. No, still going to drown. 
We can think we're better off. But they're both going to drown. I wonder if you think like Simon, we have the tendency to compare ourselves to others and think that because we're not as bad as they are, we're okay with God. But the truth is we're all drowning in our sins, no matter how little or how great they are. And Jesus is about to tell Simon that. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of God's saving standard. We've all failed the test, whether it's two out of ten or nine out of ten. No matter what our life or our background has been, in the eyes of God we have all failed. But in the eyes of God and in the eyes of Jesus Christ, there is such an amazing response that we see here. For those like Simon who had no sense of their own sinfulness. Their love for the one who could forgive their sins would be little or none. Simon viewed this woman and probably everyone else better than himself and unworthy of God's favour. To a degree, he's right. The woman wasn't worthy of favour. But do you know what? The Bible says that all of us are not worthy of God's favour. We've all fallen short But Simon even went beyond that because he wrongly assumed that some people, like this woman, were beyond the reach of God's grace. And do you know what? I think sometimes there's still a bit of Simon in each of us, even though we might know Jesus. We can begin to write people off. I wonder if you're like Simon. Do you identify with him in this story? But Jesus, on the other hand, doesn't look at people like that. And we see evidence here that Jesus didn't say didn't so much see people as much as he saw them as who they were going to be in him. Aren't you glad that Jesus looks at us in that way? He doesn't write us off. He doesn't look at your background and go, uh, not them. He doesn't look at your circumstances and say, I don't want them. But in his mercy and his grace and his love, he comes to us. And offers us forgiveness of our sins. And acceptance. No longer rejected but accepted and brought in to the presence of God. That we all feel like gatecrashers. But in God's kingdom, we're all invited to the party. We're all invited to eat and feast. That's why at Jubilee... We're so committed to loving the most marginalised in this city. But people are welcome to come and eat with us, to be with us. Whatever society might have written them off or said about them or said they never change or don't you know what they've done? We say we love you, we receive you in order that they too may encounter Jesus because they're at the party with him. God wants us to be like that to be welcomers of people, to love people. Maybe you're like Simon, you've never actually even acknowledged your own wrongdoing yourself. You could even be religious and consider yourself to be basically a good person. But do you know what? You still need forgiveness. And what we've seen this morning, it doesn't matter whether you're a 50 denario sinner or a 500 denario sinner. Doesn't matter what debt, whether you're drowning in 50 meters of water or 500 meters of water, as far as it goes, you can drown in a bathtub of water. But in every case, you will drown in your sins, cut off from God forever, unless you encounter Jesus and receive the forgiveness and the grace that He offers. And as you forgive that 
receive that so you will become a worshipper of Jesus like this woman. Let's just stand together just for a moment. For some of us here this morning, maybe we've never asked Jesus into our lives. Maybe we've been looking in on the party but never joined in and Jesus calls us to say, I love you, I'm for you, I want to forgive you of your wrongdoing. All we need to do is accept his invitation and say, Jesus, forgive me of my wrongdoing, of my sin. Lord, I want to know you. For some of us here, our passion for Jesus has waned. We want to be like this woman who just extravagantly loved Jesus. Wasn't it wonderful as Keith got up and just burst over with his praise for Jesus, even though he loves to sing more than most of us here. But he's willing to worship Jesus. Some of us just sat in our seats and even looked at him thinking, oh, he's a bit over the top. That's the Simon in you. God wants to address the religious spirit in us to accept people, to love people. Let's ask God, God, forgive me not to be like that and help me to embrace those around me who are often rejected and denied entrance to the party to bring them in. Let's just come before Jesus. Father, we ask you, forgive us for those of us who have never asked forgiveness. Lord, we ask forgiveness for the first time. Forgive me for my wrongdoing, my sin. Forgive me for thinking I can do it by myself. Only you, Jesus, can forgive me. Pray you'd come and forgive me. And Lord, I want to now follow you and I want to be a worshipper of Jesus. Brothers of us, Lord, we say, Lord, forgive us at times when we're like a Pharisee, when we judge others and who they are and how they worship. Lord, we want to fall in love with you, Jesus. We want to worship you extravagantly, whatever that takes, whatever that costs with our family and friends. Lord, we're to deny ourselves and carry our cross and follow you. Lord, help us to be Christians that are salt and light in our workplaces, in our communities, in our cities. Amen. just like to take a seat for a moment. We're going to watch a video that again sums up. This is what our youth have produced. Francesca's written this wonderful poem that flips itself. Suddenly, the words become reversed. So let's watch this video from the youth. I stayed, bound by the choice I made. A good woman, no longer, I couldn't be stronger. It just didn't stop flowing. Because of all this knowing that his light sees the darkest part of me, I came with a desperate plea, the wretched mess that is me. I'd been brought in the darkness, and suddenly I could barely see. Trapped by the glare, I was laid bare to stare at the feet beneath my hair. Overcome by the strength there, and my lack was heavy on my back. A life without truly being, I had been unseeing. Price of my sinful life now paid, death, and end to this life comes to me and slays. Now, let's flip the script. Enter this life comes to me and slays. Death, the price of my sinful life now paid. I had been unseeing. A life without truly being was heavy on my back and my lack 
overcome by the strength there. At the feet beneath my hair, I was laid bare to stare, trapped by the glare. I could barely see, and suddenly, I've been brought in the darkness. To miss, that is me. I came with a desperate plea, that is light to see the darkest part of me, because all of this knowing, his tears just didn't stop flowing. I couldn't be stronger, a good woman no longer, bound by the choice I made, I stayed.